Well, I'm glad that you joined us uh, today. Want to welcome, as always, those watching in Issaquah, Duval, and online as well. I'm Ben. I'm the lead pastor, and we are in this series. I, I just got to tell you, I am impressed by how many people came last week, the first weekend, and back again this weekend for a series called The Secret Lives of Almost Everyone. Uh, because in this series, what I've done is I've taken notes from all the counseling appointments I've done over the last years, and I'm going to share just the names and some of them. No, I wouldn't do that. Uh, the, the, the good news for you is I have a bad memory. I can't even remember what you told me. So, uh, But we really are going to look at those issues that can be uh, a little difficult to talk about. Uh, and we're doing it this way, is we're looking at uh, some characters, some people in the Bible. We're going to learn a lot about some certain individuals in the Bible in this process and the struggles that they had and how God uh, uh, met them in the middle of that are really how they chose another path and how we can learn from that as well. Well, this weekend uh, was supposed to be the weekend where we had the talk. You know what I mean? Any of you have parents of teenagers? You know, any parents of teenagers? You know what the talk is, right? You don't. Okay, you're in real trouble. <laughs> uh, but, uh, but, you know, as if we were doing that, this is a big weekend. There's kids' events and there's baptisms in some of our campuses and all of that. And people said, you know, is there any way, I got this flurry of emails, is there any way you could hold off for a couple weeks on this message because grandma is coming to church. And uh, I, I just got to tell you, grandma and grandpa, they know a lot more than you think they know. In fact, I, I know you don't want to think about it much, <laughs> but you got parents somehow. And yeah, okay, uh, just want to let you know about that. Well, uh, the, the funny thing is when we think of grandmas and grandpas, uh, some of them can be cranky, some can be fun. Came across these pictures of uh, some, yeah, isn't that great? Wouldn't you like to have a grandma like that? You know, just out rollerblading for the day. Uh, here's another one I thought was fun. I mean, that is a buff grandpa. Either that or that's a camera trick. I can't tell. I think he's really actually doing that. Now, that one I thought was interesting. You know, grandpa's just said, forget fashion. I've got my cigar, my dog, and my sword. What else do I need? And now this one was a little creepy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's a grandpa we're not going to have around much. Anyway, <laughs> when we think of uh, grandparents, I was, I was thinking about this in, in context of this message. Uh, I, I, I talk about some of my grandparents, others not so much, my mom's side not so much. Uh, so I remember my grandma, we would go down to see her. Uh, they, uh, the whole family, uh, they were in the hops business in Oregon. And so, you know what hops is? You make beer out of it. And grandma not only was uh, a hops farmer, uh, she had, uh, she would make what she called her own wine, which uh, down south they call it moonshine. <laughs> and she'd say, have a little sip, honey. And one thing I knew about grandma is she'd already had a couple. <laughs> now, uh, my, as, as I look at my, uh, my mom's side of the, the family, and there are some fond memories uh, I also uh, honestly ha have not talked much about it because of some of the intense struggles that they had. 
My uh, grandfather, uh, my maternal grandfather, when he was 12 years old, uh, was playing around with some of the brothers and sisters uh, with a gun, and, and his sister got shot and killed. And in that, that charted the course for the rest of his life. He, he suffered just with, with the demons of that throughout his own life until finally, uh, even in his early 30s, uh, he was struggling so deeply, he took his own life. And, and, I, and I say that because of the ripple effects that went from there. See, he thought, as he was battling his demons of anxiety and depression, that, that he was finally solving it. But literally, generations since, the waves and the ripple effects have been profound and honestly uh, harmful and hurtful. And so today as I, I, I approach a topic that uh, we don't talk a lot about, you know, in church, actually really anywhere, the whole idea of like mental health, uh, I do so because I understand the, what, I, I don't understand necessarily what you're going through if you're suffering through deep depression, but I do understand what happens if we don't start to, to deal with those things, not only for you, but those in your family as well. You know, so, so, we, so here's the problem, is the problem, especially if, you know, uh, maybe that's not been your background. One in four Americans at some point will be clinically depressed. Maybe you say, that's not me. It's certainly someone in your family. We'll just say, hey, you know, just can't you, can't you just cheer up? Can't you just pull yourself up by your bootstraps? And, and the truth is, uh, you, you would read verses in the Bible, and you would think uh, maybe that's what it's saying. In uh, Philippians 4, 4, it says, Always uh, be full of joy in the Lord. I say it again, rejoice. Give your burdens to the Lord, and he will take care of you. He will not permit the godly to slip and fall. And the, and the truth is, is God will meet us there. But it may not happen quickly, and it may not happen unless we allow God to meet us in these areas of anxiety and depression. C.S. Lewis said this, the great author, mental pain is uh, less dramatic than physical pain, but it is more common and also more hard to bear. The frequent attempt to conceal mental pain increases a burden. It's easier to say my tooth is aching than my heart is broken. And we read in Proverbs 18, 14, it, it, it says this, and this really gives us a counterbalance to some of the scriptures that I referenced uh, earlier. The human spirit can endure a sick body, but who can bear a crushed spirit? And as we look at that, the depth at which we may feel that at this moment is probably vast and varying. But when someone is feeling like they just can't make it through the day, when they feel paralyzed, there's this, this hole that we can get into. And I believe that even in that hole, that God can meet us and that God can help redirect us. See, the hard part is that, that, that we don't uh, really even think clearly at that, at that point. 
Well, why do we get there in the first place? What are sort of the, uh, how do we go uh, from uh, this uh, stressed to, uh, to depressed? Uh, what are ways that we, we move there? Because anxiety is a root of depression. Depression uh, does not cause anxiety. Usually people will have both. But untreated anxiety over a period of time will often lead to depression. Well, how do we get there? Well, one is just chemistry. Uh, what I mean by chemistry, it's our body chemistry. Uh, that we, some of us, we are, come from a background where we're prone to uh, depression. And, and, I, and I say a couple things here. Uh, some of you are raised in an environment where like, hey, uh, if I become a Christian, then I don't need to pay attention to this anymore. If my chemistry, you might even be, have been prescribed medication for depression. And uh, it's okay to take uh, medicine from a doctor, by the way, don't self-medicate for an illness. That doesn't make you less spiritual. Uh, you've heard me say time and time again, God made his family, but Prozac made his friends. <laughs> and, you know, the truth is, is, that, uh, is that we may have to uh, use medication uh, to help us through that. But here's what I'd also say. If you're struggling and there's a family background, that doesn't have to determine how you live the rest of your life. There are people who live with uh, varying amounts of joy and really are able to live through this, even uh, despite their chemistry. A second reason is loneliness. Uh, when we're alone, and by the way, when we're depressed, what's usually what happens? We isolate, and that exacerbates the problem. You say, if I could just get alone, and when you get alone with your own thoughts and your thoughts are faulty, guess what happens? Faulty thinking can lead to faulty behavior, whether it's self-medicating whether it's you lose the balance of morality, it could be self-destructive, and, and you can just be in a place where you're not able to think. And so, but loneliness can lead us to that. And uh, if you would look at a couple of books, I, I didn't reference them like I usually do in the program, but you can buy them online. There are a couple older books. One's called The Self-Healing Personality. It's by a psychiatrist at UC Riverside. And in that, he describes people who are able to overcome incredible difficulty, uh, people uh, who should really be undone by a circumstance, but they're able to do well. And one of the traits, he says, is people who have a, a strong support network. And there's another book called There's a Lot More to Health Than Not Being Sick. Again, that is a five-year culmination by the Lilly Foundation did this study. And, and they said significant relationships are crucial for physical health, let alone mental health. And then uh, there's circumstances, uh, loss of a job, declining health, uh, a divorce. It can cause us uh, to go uh, into depression. Sometimes just bad circumstances uh, can make us cranky. You have that happen to you, Right? Something just little uh, happens, and then this last week, it, it was uh, not interesting. It was actually horrible, but uh, on Monday, uh, the internet went down, which is not that big of a deal until you're on Tuesday and Wednesday, and then uh, the, I, finally the guy comes out, and he says, oh, yeah, you know, they were doing some construction work. It won't be that big of a deal. It won't, it'll just be a few more days. 
And I'm like, hey, it's a big deal to me, you know? And see, if I was dealing with a depression, that could become something huge because we tend to blow things out of proportion. And then there's sin. Uh, and see, here, here's what, what people, and maybe this is you if, you, if you don't have a connection with God and you deny that there is sin, you can get into a place and you won't be able to identify it. Uh, but it's whenever we live apart from God's plan, there's this angst inside of us, whether we have a relationship with God or not, that can uh, cause, cause us to go into a spiral. Well, what I, what I want to look is I want to look at a character from the Bible, someone, actually we're going to look at two people from the Bible who dealt with this issue. Uh, from the older part of the Bible, uh, Elijah and Jeremiah. I really wanted to look a little bit at uh, both of their lives. I was going to make this two weeks, but I thought a two weeks on depression would be depressing. <laughs> and so I thought, no, let's not do that. Let's sort of roll them into one. And uh, uh, we're going to look first primarily at Elijah. Elijah, so here, here let me set the scene for you. Uh, now, I wasn't raised in church, but you, you're probably, if you were, familiar with the story where he goes up on Mount uh, Caramel, and what he does is he, uh, he, he has this battle, sort of like the battle of the gods, and uh, God uses him, and he's, uh, it's really funny there, actually, if you read that in 1 Kings 18, where uh, there's these, uh, this pagan god Baal, uh, all sorts of horrible things happen in his name, and the 450 priests of Baal are out there, and uh, whatever god brings down fire, that's the real god, and, and they're doing all sorts of crazy things and slashing themselves, and he's saying, you know, maybe your god is constipated and on the potty. It's junior high humor, love the story. Uh, and then uh, after that, he comes down and God performs a miracle. And, you know, it's sort of, if I was, by the way, writing a religious book, this is how you can tell the Bible's true. If I was writing a religious book, I would have stopped there. And, by, and uh, do comparative religion, they usually stop there, almost all of them. But it doesn't stop there. It tells a story of, of a, uh, a queen Jezebel, and she had it out for him and wanted to kill, kill Elijah. And somehow something triggered it. It was a stress, anxiety, despite the great victory. And he goes into a downward spiral, and he goes out in literally the most desolate part of the Middle East to a desert. And that's where we pick up the story. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. Uh, and so he goes to the desert, one bad situation to another, and it says he came to a, a broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. And here was his prayer. He said, I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the tree and fell asleep. So he's at, at the lowest point of his life, and in that, God does not leave him. In fact, God miraculously comes to Elijah. But interesting, what God says to him is so practical in the middle of it. And I think it helps us. If you're here and you're saying, you know, I want to come back from anxiety and depression. This is not a panacea, a cure-all. But these are things to, to keep in mind from a biblical perspective. 
the, the first thing that, uh, that God says is remember your physical health. Uh, it, it says uh, this, we read this uh, in 1 Kings 19, 5 through 6. All at once an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. And he looked around and there by his head with some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water, he ate, drank, and then lay down again. And so uh, the angel says, we read later on, hey, here, I've got something for you to do. This is really going to be spiritual. I want you to eat some good food and take a nap, Elijah. And for some of us, we forget that. We're like, oh, I just need to pray more. I need to... God says, you know, I've created your body that if you abuse that, you're, it's gonna actually, you're gonna get worn down and mentally you will get worn down as well. I, I, I mean, I, I, I've said this before. I, I mean, you, you, you think about this. When you're a little kid, what's the worst thing your parents can say when you're like, you know, six, seven years old? What, to go ahead and take a nap. And then when you get older, doesn't a nap sound awesome? You know, <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I, I mean, I remember my parents, I'd get cranky and they'd say, Ben needs an N-A-P. But I was 16, I could spell by then. And so uh, <laughs> I, I wasn't falling for it. But maybe for you, it's not worshiping your body, uh, but it's saying, I'm gonna pay attention to the physical because I understand how it can affect uh, everything else in my life. And then and, uh, we see this one, and I want to uh, focus mostly here. God challenges Elijah. He says, reframe your internal dialogue. Uh, reframe your internal dialogue. Uh, this one is huge. And by the way, uh, this, this idea did not originate with New Age gurus about self-talk. Uh, God really challenges some of Elijah's thinking. Here's the problem, is when we're in the midst of depression, if you're there right now, people will challenge your thinking and you probably will not be able to discern whether or not what they're saying is helpful or not. And then at that point, if you're, if you're there at all, man, it is always well-spent money to go to a professional. I would encourage a Christian therapist who could help you uh, sort through this. I've shared before uh, that uh, I've been to a counselor before. My wife and I have been to therapy three times before. We'll probably go again because I don't think we've fixed her yet, but you know. uh, (laughs) (laughs) By the way, we had our 22nd anniversary this weekend. (laughs) Yeah, isn't that great? Yeah, you can clap for her, you know. Yeah, she, she took a vacation. Yeah, the, uh, <laughs> no, she went to pick up my daughter from college uh, in Arizona. Or at least that's what she told me. So uh, <laughs> let, let's look at what it says in 1 Kings 19, uh, 9 through uh, 10. You know, you know I, I would probably say this. Uh, seriously, uh, my wife... Just because of sort of the background I come from with some of these challenges and struggles where there's a lot of just struggles with depression and mental illness and all of that kind of thing. Uh, I think one of the reasons I've been able to go through life 
uh, sort of, I, I, would, I wouldn't say normal, I'm not there yet, but <laughs> healthy and happy is because of the incredible support she's given me. Not in an enabling, codependent way. We talked about that last week. And uh, that is an incredible gift from God. And you, if you're married and a couple and one of you is struggling, you're going to have to figure that out a little bit. Uh, but it can be such a blessing to have someone to, to speak God's truth into your life. When it's encouragement, it's encouragement. Someone who can, who can say, hey, this, you know, this maybe is where God is leading us to go. Or God told me to give you a swift kick in the, yep, the place you sit down. And so that can be a great blessing. Let, let, let's look at what we read here. It says, uh, there he went into a cave and spent the night. And uh, the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. So here's, here's what I want you to get here. And if, if you study this part of the Bible, First and Second Kings, probably not a place to start, but if you've been studying the Bible for a while, this is pretty interesting. You'll notice that God comes to him and says, you... You don't have all of it. Had they rejected the covenant? Yes. Had they killed some of the other priests? Yes. Were there people out to get him? Yes. Was he the only one left? No. In fact, God says to him, I have 7,000 people serving me just like you, who are faithful just like you. And he and I think you could read it one of two ways. You could read it as a chastisement to Elijah saying, okay, Elijah, you know, stop your whining. I think what God is saying to him is, you're not even close to alone. You just need to see who I've put in, in, in the world who could walk with you as you walk in relationship with me. Elijah's saying, I'm the only one who can get it done. And God says, no, I will use you, but don't take on a burden that you were never meant to carry. And and see, here's what will happen. Dr. Henry Cloud, one of my favorite authors and writers, he's a a psychologist, uh, also a business consultant as well, a man who deeply loves Jesus uh, in the midst of all his... uh, work. He, he describes the process that we go through like this. We get in this, uh, uh, I guess, negative self-talk is what you would uh, describe it, where, where we start to think like this, that it's all personal, that everything that's happened, no matter what happens in our life, when we get in this uh, kind of thinking, for, for example, uh, someone will uh, not talk to you when you're walking down the lobby at church and you're like, oh, they don't like me anymore. This is horrible. They're not my friends. Someone, someone doesn't smile at you. And, and, and what we'll do is we'll like way blow things out of proportion. You know, you, uh, you follow someone on Twitter and they have a closed account and they haven't accepted you as a follower on Twitter. Or they have a friend request on Facebook and they haven't accepted your friend request. And you're thinking, they must hate me. 
And maybe they don't hate you at all. Maybe it's just that they're too busy. Maybe, you know, that they just haven't been on Facebook for a while. Maybe they're in pervasive sexual sin and involved in all sorts of horrible things. That's what I, whenever someone doesn't accept me on Facebook, that's what I figure. <laughs> the, uh, <laughs> so, <laughs> I just figure it must be you. So, <laughs> it, it, see, there's an interesting, uh, oftentimes what we'll do is we confuse uh, self-concept and self-esteem. Uh, there's been studies on self-esteem. Uh, do you know who has the highest self-esteem of almost any group? Federal prison inmates. Yeah, they, they think they're awesome, literally. I'm not, you know, I know some of you may have had trouble with the law. I'm not giving you a hard time. But, but they've been taught, hey, just feel good about yourself. Self-concept says, not only do I, how do I feel about myself, how does God feel about me? Who am I created to be? And see, that's what God wants to work in our life. Uh, also, we'll get into thinking that it's pervasive, that every problem we have, that it's, you know, it's never going to get better. Uh, that if, if I had a bad review at work, that, and I've talked about this before, that, well, it must mean that I'll get uh, a demotion, I might lose my job, and that's not true. And that it's permanent. That I'm never going to get out of this. I, I, I love, in Psalm 23, one of my favorite uh, psalms, parts of the Bible, many of you, you would say the same thing where David says, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. And he's talking about the deepest, darkest times, and we're going to talk about David's life, and he had plenty of them. He said, you are there with me. And you know what he also says? That I'm walking through it. That I'm not taking up permanent residency uh, in it. See, what we'll often think is, oh, you know, uh, God could never forgive me. Yes, he can. He sent his son Jesus on the cross for that. God could never heal this relationship. Well, it it takes two people, but I've seen God do miracles beyond what maybe you could ever imagine could happen. We're told in the scripture to take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. And then let let me roll through this. We need to re-engage our assignment. Uh, now, Now, you would think with Elijah, after he comes through this struggle, that God would say, okay, Now I've got a new assignment for you. You know, look at what God says. The Lord said to him, go back the way you came. He says, no, the answers are not going to be in a new location. They're not going to be in a new situation. The answers are going to be in how I meet you, how I meet you. Well, let let me turn turn a page, and there was someone just like him. And I think we learned this. I'm going to leave you quickly on these four principles. His name was Jeremiah. Many of you uh, know Jeremiah 29, 11. I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans to prosper and not to harm you, to give you hope in a future, great scripture. But many of us don't know the scripture that comes before that in Jeremiah 20, where he gets to a point too, where he says, God, I wish I was never born. And he gets in this place of, of deep, darkness in his heart and depression. There's only two books in the Bible that are really, uh, we know are attributed to Jeremiah. One is the book of Jeremiah, and it's about his life. The other one is the book of Lamentations, which literally could be translated the book of complaining. 
And so it's like, you know, if you're an Eeyore personality, you're like, great, there's a book that affirms where I'm at. Well, you know, it's, he, he was going through some tough stuff. And uh, through the first two and a half chapters, he, he says, God, this is horrible. I even, God, I blame you for this. And then he has a turn of thinking. And I just want to leave you with this because I think this is so powerful. He says, yet this I call to mind and therefore I have hope. And what does he call to mind? Uh, He calls to mind this, uh, that God still loves me, uh, that God still loves me. It says, because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. It's like the uh, controversial but great uh, uh, theologian retiring, uh, uh, I think think it was the University of Chicago, and as he retired, uh, someone said, what's the greatest thing you've learned? And he said, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. He said, that's the greatest theological truth. That's the deep end of the pool. That God still offers grace. Uh, and see, this is where we need to reframe our thinking. It says in Isaiah 55, 8, and this isn't in your outline, my thoughts are not your thoughts, my ways are not your ways. And oftentimes we think of this in terms of cosmology or when it has to do with the problem of suffering. But think about it, too, with the the problem of your own sin and failure. See, most of us, we could believe in a God who would give second chances. We want that, right? And this is where Christianity varies from any other philosophy, religion, worldview. I don't care if it's communism, Islam, Hinduism, Buddhism, Jehovah's Witness, you name it. It's always, okay, there might be forgiveness, but then you have to do these things to show you're sincere. There might be forgiveness, but then you better not do it again or you're going to be in trouble. There might be forgiveness, but you're never going to be the place in God's sight that you could have been. And look at what it says. I think this is uh, so great because God's ways are not our ways. It says, why don't we read this out loud together? Can you do that? Ready, set, read. For his compassions never fail. They're new every morning. How often are they new? Every morning. Because when do you need them? Every morning. Because when do you sin? No. (laughs) Uh, No, the truth is we need it. Every morning God will be compassionate and graceful. And they're new because we need that every single day. And that God is still faithful. He says, great is your faithfulness. And then finally he says this, and this I hope this doesn't come across trite. He says that God is enough. Look at how he changes his own internal dialogue. He says this, I say to myself, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for him. The Lord is good to those who hope in him, to the one who seeks him. He goes through this whole time saying, God, you are You've not been there for me. You're maybe the source of my problems. But then he says, no, he he will be enough for me. Nothing had changed on the outside, but something was beginning to change on the inside. It may happen in a moment. It may happen over a period of time. Jesus says this, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. 
And this is my prayer is that no matter how deep you are in a struggle or circumstance, or maybe it's just the way you're wired and you've been dealing with this all your life, or you're in relationship with someone who is, that you will find maybe not that perfect peace because we know that'll happen the other side of heaven, but you will find God's peace and presence right now that you'll say this, you know, Jesus is enough. I think sometimes the, the hardest time to say that is not when we know maybe we're struggling and it's part of our mental chemical makeup or due to our own sin, but when someone has sinned against us and then we feel like our life has never come back together again and we get in in that pit of anxiety and depression. I know in the context of a 35-minute message, I can't give you every answer, but I hope you see that God has a plan and purpose for you and that God has hope. And, and so I, I want to share uh, with you stories that someone wrote me this email a few months ago and said, you know, this is difficult, but I want to share my story because I, I, I believe that someone needs to hear it. And so I want you to hear that story. 